It is Locked on Jazz for the 5th of October. Victor and Scoot go Larry and Magic, and we're talking about it. Jazz play preseason game number two, look really good in lots of ways, and pull off a victory. We'll talk about our three stars, expanding roles, and sharpshooting. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting platforms as well as on YouTube. And if you're listening on and watching on YouTube, please subscribe and please hit that notification button so you know whenever we are giving you a episode and know it's coming. All right, this is the first. The NBA season has officially started. My little fun Garmin watch tells me three hours and 47 minutes of sleep last night. We're back at it. We're back on this. It's a double shot of espresso for those people who are not watching on YouTube. Uh, it is. We are back at it. It is the season. The hair is bad. The bags are showing up under the eyes. But the excitement is real. Uh, I got to share. Uh, the last two days, it's just been um, since we... I feel like I just share my life with you guys. It's just been amazing. Like, I was crazy nervous. I've done this for... I'm 52. I've done this... I've called well over 1,000 Jazz games now. I've called about probably 1,100 NBA games. You know, whatever. Resume's getting long. Not not impressive, just long. Um, And for game one, I mean, I just was nervous. I walked for like six miles in Edmonton just because I had so much juice. And then last night, yesterday... You know, the day went well. I got my workout in right before I got to the, got to uh, ready to go, and um, I just was, you know got got in the getting in the elevator, and I was like, "This is great! This is great!" I was talking to Sean, one of our coaches, like, "This is amazing!" So uh, you know, super, like, just great to be back at it. I mean, I'm joking about the first. I always say people ask me like, "How is it?" And I'm like, "It's the greatest gig in the world. There's nothing like performing 86. If you make the playoffs 90 some odd times a year." Um, but boy, your sleep pattern just disappears on day one of the season and, uh, never quite recovers. Uh, thank you, by the way, to our crew that made us the new logos. So we, we were a little purple today. We don't have our full setup, but we went with a little purple today, um, for the fun of it. All right. So last night, Victor Weminyamu and Scoot Henderson played while the Jazz were playing. And it was interesting because, you know, I'm watching Twitter and I'm trying to get Jazz fans' reaction to the game. And I'm asking Jazz fans, like, what have they seen tonight? And the answer was Victor and Scoop. Uh, the TV ratings, I'm so curious to see. I thought John Hollinger headed down a line of a thought that was really interesting. And that is that, you know, for those of us that are in, the, in their 50s or older, any younger, you, you, you missed it. Uh, I was nine the kind of seminal moment of college basketball leading to the NBA that has never been equaled is at the Huntsman Center 1979 
Larry Bird and Magic Johnson play. And that is like, you know, that's one of the five most important basketball games that's ever been played. There's a new book by Sean Devaney that's like the 10 games that form the world. And I think that's probably might be number one at modern TV. Um, it was two of these two stars that took the league from, you know, Dr. J was in the league, but this took the league to a brand new generation. I think last night might have been the same. It's as close as we're ever going to get to two elite players playing each other in a marquee game of that nature. Magic was in his second season. Bird was in his third and Bird had already been drafted, maybe even his fourth. Bird had already been drafted by the Lake, by the Celtics at that point. So we don't, we're never, there's no scenario where the way college basketball is today that two players play and they match up and there's as much build up to start the year as there is than what we saw last night with Victor Weminyamu and Scoot Henderson. And I actually think it's a seminal moment in the basketball also because of G League Ignite. That Scoot Henderson is doing, and Victor Weminyamu are doing this and having this stage and this national television, and everyone's talking about them, and they're going to be ever, forever intertwined for what they did last night in that game. And, and it's taking place with neither of them in college. I mean, in some ways, this could be the death of college basketball as we know it, which would be a different and a negative way to say it. But I think it's the rise of European players being known before they get here. There's no Dirk Nowitzki mystery here on Wemin Yamu. Like, we've seen him. We've known he's coming. It's, we've seen videos of him for three years. It's incredible. Like, if you watch the highlights, he looks like Rudy Gobert defensively with the length of Giannis Adetokounmpo, with the jump shot of Kevin Durant, with the handles of, like, I don't know, Paul George? Like, it's mind-blowing. Uh, it, it is a talent. It, like, it's not the Chris Depp's Przingis unicorn. It's something completely, completely different than that. And so, I think what we, I think what took place, I'm le- I mean, the Jazz played and I'm leading with this today for a reason. I think it's, a, it's, it's going to turn out to be one of the 10 or 15, 20 most important basketball games ever played in, in basketball. I think it's, if you're, an, if you're an NBA player, if you're a young kid coming out, like G League Ignite just got Scoot Henderson this exposure and all the other kids the exposure. If you're a European kid and you're this great, you, you don't need to come to the U.S. to go to college. You, Victor Womanyamu, you don't, haven't needed to anyway, but you, you now have got an exposure that's different. This, this is not the last time we're going to see it. I think the TV ratings are going to be through the roof. The The... Social numbers are going to be incredible because there's just, you can't stop watching the highlights. And then both players' draft status was great. And then what also happened is the same thing that happened with Larry and Magic is that both the players were amazing. Both the players were unbelievably amazing. I am literally got up this morning. First thing I did is went to my Roku, went to like ESPN Plus and started trying to search to see how I could get and watch the game. Which is... Really pretty, you know, that's, like, I'm not sure that, that, I mean, hey, you know, Giannis and Embiid have matched up in some kind of amazing games over the years, or there's NBA games, I kind of do it all the time, Um, but I, you know, I did, like, want to see whether or not, and any of the programs and mechanisms and systems that I have, whether or not I could download last night's game, and whether I could watch uh, those two guys play at that level and see what it, and see it in person, or see it again because I didn't get to watch it. So, um, pretty amazing. But I do think, uh, obviously, you know the the 
the tanking or whatever you want to call it that's going to go on for those two kids is amazing. Um, and the, you know, I thought Michael uh, Grange of, of Toronto had an interesting comment that he saw Scoot Henderson and is like pretty certain he's going to be a 10-time All-Star and there's no question he's drafting Wembenyamu first. Pretty amazing. Uh, so anyway, that was the moment of last night NBA, but I think it's historically important um, as well. Jazz won last night. Uh, the biggest thing about this, and maybe this is what the team's going to be, I thought Dame Lillard had, there are two things last night that jump out to me is my two biggest takeaways. One is that Toronto was really hard to play. And, and I tried to bring this up on the show and I tried to bring it up on the broadcast. Toronto's got these interchangeable 6'8", 220 across the board. They don't run, they run the second fewest amount of picks. They run the second most isolation. It just was, for everything you're doing in training camp, Toronto was probably a great team to play in the sense that it's super hard to play them, but they're also probably really one of the most difficult teams to play that could exist out there. And they, it didn't, there wasn't a player that played for them that didn't play for the Raptors the night before or the year before. So they knew how to do everything. They were in sync and it, and it was really pretty obvious that that was the case. Um, and I think then last night, I just think the opponent was a much more digestible task for the Jazz, and we got to see a lot more of what the Jazz want to do and mechanisms by which to do things um, overall. Uh, the second one that's my, my major takeaway actually comes from Dame. I talked to Dame after the game last night, and I just kind of said, like, hey, you, you've been doing this for a while in the league. Like, tell me, like, what matters to you and what doesn't in the preseason? And um, he just gave such a such a great, thoughtful answer um, after, you know, hey, this is his 11th preseason uh, and what Dame said was that you really start this thing in September and you kind of know what you're interested in. You're working on some things and then you get to training camp and you get more detailed on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. And then you get into games and his things, hey, what jumps out to me the most is the carryover. Like how much are we taking one thing that we're learning here, learning here and carrying it over? There, there's a tendency, he said, you know, you the lights go on and everything you're working on as a team and you're trying to do go away. I think that's what might have happened in the third quarter to us against the Toronto Raptors. And all of a sudden, you know, once the lights are on, you're you're thinking to yourself like, oh, you know, it changed a little bit. You don't have that same focus, or you don't have that. You're not um, you're not at that same. You don't execute the plans. Now you don't have the focus. You just get in. The bullets are flying. You get there, an opponent trying to prevent you from doing what you're doing, and then you start to do other things. And you forget kind of where, what your team is doing. And so Dane's point is like, what matters to me is the carryover. What, what carries over from one day to the other is what matters to me as a player. And he said, what doesn't matter to me is turnovers, rust, mistakes, players trying things, score. I thought it was a great point. And I think you can see in the Jazz first two games where there's really good carryover and where you're seeing like what Will Hardy kind of probably semi-instituted in September during open gym unofficially, what he then officially instituted during training camp and what we're seeing carry over. There are plays and there's moments and you're seeing different sets. They suddenly ran a different set for a while last night with a double stagger. They ran a Spain pick and roll a few times with a little bit of a twist on it. They ran um, certain players doing certain things. They're running some low tight curls in the middle of the floor. Um, you're seeing those things carry over. And so I think that's really the best sign of it. It's, you know, we want to, and we're going to do it for the rest of the show after this, look at individual players' work and things of that nature. But really when it gets right down to it, Dame's right. The carryover we're seeing, and you're certainly seeing a style of play. And, you know, the Jazz forced nine first quarter turnovers against uh, the Raptors, and then they forced 
five or six in the first five minutes last night um, defensively. So you're you're certainly seeing that kind of um, that kind of play from every uh, from the Jazz. I mean, I think Simon's turned it over three times. The Jazz had six turnovers forced in the first quarter of the game, um, and and so you you are seeing that kind of force that impact, which is. Which is pretty great. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. Steve, we'll give you our three stars coming up here, by the way, um, on the show from last night's game. And we'll also uh, talk about um, just overall play of a bunch of guys um, and what the Jazz are doing with a bunch of guys. Uh, the Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending, and that means Steve Carter. The best. We love our Steve Carter. Steve Carter is our personal loan officer over at Intercap. Intercap's a great story. Uh, was long-time loan company, all sorts of, you know, credibility brought to Utah by Josh Romney. And then it's just grown and grown and grown and grown. And the way you grow in the lending business is you get loans done and you service customers. If you think about if you're a real estate agent and you're going to, usually that's who chooses your lender. If you're buying a house and you're going to go somewhere, well, the number one thing the agent needs is the deal to get done. And, you know, that's what Intercap's done. I mean, they're, they... 2019, they doubled their 2018. Halfway through 2010, they doubled their 2019 because they get deals done. They're hyper-responsive, embrace change. They have a super borrow experience. And the borrow experience for us stems back to our guy, Steve Carter. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer. You can reach him at 385-800-8528. He is really, it's just unbelievable customer service. And whether it's been, you know, our COO, Carl Weinstein, who used him, whether it's Dave Thurman said, all I can say is Steve Carter is by far the best loan officer I've ever worked with. That is saying something because I've done my fair share of loans in my lifetime. He was responsive, just down-to-earth person to work with, which is rare. I want to recommend him to anyone, and I know uh, I know with the highest praise. So Steve Carter over at Intercap, Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit Intercap Lending. 385-885-28, or just email me directly at dlock09 at gmail.com. And I'll connect you over with Steve Carter and give you um, that connection. Today's show is also brought to you today by Prize Picks. Prize Picks, where a hundred percent deposit match up to a hundred with the promo code Locked On, is the deal for you. Uh, what do you love about the games and the easy bit play of Prize Picks? Different person will tell you a different thing. Um, about prize picks you pick two to five players if you if they will uh, and if they will go score more or less than their prize picks projection you can win up to 10 times your money on an entry no competing against other people it's just you versus the projections available prize picks offers projections on any sport nba nfl mlb nhl pga college football men's women's basketball college scores all the rest mma entries can be made in 60 seconds or left it's that easy safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in 30 states and in canada download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up your daily fantasy sports first time users can receive a hundred percent instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars with the promo code locked on if you deposit a hundred prize picks will give you a hundred if you deposit 50 prize picks will give you 50 don't forget enter the promo code locked on at sign up for the instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars thanks so much for making locked on jazz your first listen of the day greatly appreciate you tuning into the show they staying with us 
here and hitting that notification button on YouTube after you subscribe. For your second listen today, we have amazing content at Locked on NBA Big Board, and today would be the day. Rafael Barlow has been traveling the country watching Victor Weminyama, the world, watching Victor Weminyama, and will have um, the reaction to it. Uh, as well. All right, three stars from last night for the Utah Jazz. Well, that's two games in a row. He's going to be one of our stars, and that's Mike Conley. Uh, Mike Conley is just doing a marvelous job of being in control of the game. Last year, he was the fourth best off-the-bounce shooter in the NBA. It showed again uh, last night. He hit three straight off-the-bounce threes. Veeran to his right. The big was back. And Conley buried all three of them, reading the situation perfectly. I mean, the guys, you know, this is no surprise. He's just played for so long. We're under such control when he's on the floor. Uh, he, he's battling defensively, as he always does. He always gives his heart and soul. Really, really um, a good performance from Mike last night and reading the team. Well, the other star of the game is Kelly Olenek. Now, the trip was ill-advised, and he uh, if you missed it, he was on the ground. And pretty dirty play, threw out a leg. Um, and tripped Yusuf Nurkic. Kelly's got a little dirtiness to him, frankly, if you've watched him over the years and he's been in a little bit of controversies at times. You know, it happens. So we're probably going to have to get used to it as as he's our guy. Um, But I think you also can admit, like, I think Kelly would take that one back. It wasn't great. But let's not let that overshadow the performance he had. He was really terrific. And if you go by quarter last night um, for him, his first quarter last night, Olenek has four assists. Two steals, eight points. His four assists led to nine points. He directly contributed to 17 of the Jazz' 21 first quarter points. So what's interesting a little bit about what we're watching out of the Jazz is a Linux the hub. The Jazz are playing, you know, in the first quarter the other night, Mike Conley has zero assists. That a Linux is the hub offensively and moving it and making the plays and getting things going. In the second quarter, Linux comes back and gets two more assists. Doesn't take a shot and plays seven minutes. Um, and in the third quarter, when he played seven minutes, then the Jazz adjusted a little bit on what they were, some of the things they were doing, and he had kind of a different role to it. But Olenek is the ball-moving offensive hub that gets is getting the Jazz contagious in that, and he really is just a super smart uh, basketball player, and he wins, and you can just tell he, he's, he's, a, he's a connector. And I think we talked about this in the very, very first show of kind of training camp. And my question was, will this team pass? You just have non-passers all the way across the board on this roster. You know, Sexton's a non-passer. Clarkson's a non-passer. Alexander Walker's a non-passer. Like Vanderbilt's generally thought of as, you know, it's not, uh, Markkinen's not thought of as a passer. Um, Horton Tucker's probably not thought of as a passer. Stanley's not thought of it. Belize, Beasley, not, like, we're, we're, this is a roster of, of non-passers. And so can you create ball movement? And so far, this is where, what Dame Lillard was talking about, do you see the fact that a team is is actually having carryover? My answer on carryover right now is yes. My answer on carryover is that Kelly Olenek has created a culture of moving the basketball. And we're seeing a lot of nice stuff early. Two guard fronts up top, interchanging at the top, create the early switch, start the movement, various things. Olenek popping out of the baseline, catching in the middle of the floor, making plays out of it. We're seeing a bunch of nice offensive sets and we're seeing a bunch of um, action that is leading to Olenek to be able to make the plays. I thought Kelly Olenek was just, I mean, that first quarter is ridiculous. You just, right? I mean, he ends up scoring eight points, assisting on seven, and we scored 21 in eight minutes and three seconds. 
So I, I thought, you know, Kelly was really, um, is the the second star there. The third star to me in a game, this was not an easy selection. There were actually a lot of guys. But I'm going to go to Stanley Johnson. Rudy Gay didn't play last night. So I'll get to the rotation in a second. But Stanley Johnson got 15 minutes. Um, and Stanley Johnson's an interesting player because um, and Stanley Johnson came out of the, the draft, 6'6", 242, played a single year at the University of Arizona out of Santa Ana, California. And honestly, if I'm telling the truth, and I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere, so there's no need to hide it. I did not like him as a draft prospect at all. Um, I I thought I thought he just played bully ball, and he was so incredibly physically gifted at 18 years old that, and he had a great college year. He averaged 14 points with seven rebounds and two assists. He just was so much bigger and stronger than every other kid coming out of high school that he was one of the top recruits in the country. He went to Arizona. He played a single year. And again, he was just bigger and stronger. He was the number three recruit in the country. So he's just was... And then he gets to the NBA in Detroit, and he kind of does what I'd expect. The game sped up, and he didn't didn't have it. Like, he shot 38% his first year and 30% from three, and then it got worse the next year, 35 and 29. And then the next year was 38 and 30 again. I think about 38, 29. And then he starts moving. And then it's two year, two parts of two seasons in Toronto and a single like 12, 18 game stretch in New Orleans. And suddenly he's begging to keep his career alive in Los Angeles last year with the Lakers. I think he, um, I think if you look at Stanley, I don't think my memory is he didn't start the year with the Lakers. He might have been a COVID pickup. Uh, no, he did start the year with his, his, no, his first game's Christmas. He's picked up. He's picked up, I think, on a COVID pickup and plays brilliantly. He plays 20 minutes a night, and he ends up making the team. He ends up beating us, scoring 15 points in January on, like, his 10th game of the season where he just completely dominated us in the middle of the post. So this is a re- – first of all, I'm giving him a star because he's was really interesting to talk to before the season, and it's such an interesting career trajectory of what training camp is all about is that here's this guy who was all everything, number three recruit in the country, top seven, eight pick – I mean, the world is going to be his. And, you know, certainly his bank account is still in pretty good shape for the rest of his life. I think he's made $20 million probably, which is nice. But now he's playing for his life. And frankly, when you looked at this roster at the beginning of the year and the media people all sat around and you probably did the same thing and you found cuts and tried to figure out who wasn't making the team, Stanley Johnson wasn't making the team. Stanley Johnson is making the Jazz make a choice, which is pretty cool. And there's a bunch of reasons why Stanley Johnson, first of all, he might have had five deflections last night in a span of, you know, 10 minutes. He was so active defensively. He completely wrecked havoc. He was in the passing lanes. He, and he's made this super interesting comment in our media session about the idea that he is trying to learn what his strengths in the league are instead of trying to fix his weaknesses. And he's exactly right. The trend of what happens with an NBA player is they come to the league and they're terrible at a bunch of stuff in, in their first year. And then in their second year, they try to fix all the things they were terrible at in that offseason. So the off, if they come in the NBA, they think they're going to be great because they've been great their whole lives. And then they get their ass kicked. And then they, they, all right, I couldn't finish at the rim. I couldn't get free on my dribble. I couldn't, I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And they go to the offseason, they go work on the five things they weren't good at because they've never failed in their lives before. And they go out, come out the next year, and they still can't do those things. And the reason they can't do those things is because the league is amazing. And it's just too, too hard to play. And so 
what's and then what happens to them is that um, they come back out between year two and year three, and they're like, oh, I guess I'm still never going to be able to finish at the rim, and I guess I'm not. So I'm going to go work on the things I'm really, really good at, and then I make my way into the league. Well, you know, Stanley's trying to find those things, and right now they're force and defense and short dribble game. They, the Jazz and the Lakers played him kind of at the free throw line where he catches, and now one or two dribbles to the rack, and Stanley Johnson's pretty good. So it's interesting to watch, and I give him credit. Last night he raised de- just complete defensive havoc on the ball game. Thought he was just absolutely terrific. He finished with five points and five rebounds, an assist and a block. And Rudy Gay was out last night and, you know, he's making a statement that like, hey, I need to be that guy. And by the way, when you play the Lakers, I'm the one guy in your roster who can guard LeBron. And when you play Milwaukee, I'm the one guy in your roster who can probably guard Giannis. And when you're playing Dallas, I'm probably the one guy that can guard Luka. And you don't really have that guy in your roster, and I probably should be that guy. And it's pretty cool to watch this guy go from being the number three recruit in the country to trying to work his way into the lineup. I'm a fan of that. So Stanley Johnson gets our third star of the game. Who are your stars? Question has been up on YouTube today. That's our YouTube question of the day. On who, were, who would you give your votes to three stars on the last night of the Utah Jazz game? And no, you cannot answer Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. It is Locked on Jazz, your team every day. We are here for you Monday through Friday, each and every day, available on free on all uh, platforms. So thank you, or apps, thank you very much for for tuning in. All right, some other things from last night's game um, that jumped out. Overall, just really, you know, defense. Jared Vanderbilt probably could have been uh, discussed as a star. Um, Just we've never had anything like it. Live wire, making plays grabbing rebounds, grabbing extra possessions, snaking through, just pretty great. Um, he finished with seven rebounds in 22 minutes, but you know the energy and the effort, is you, it's going to bring Vivint Arena to its feet multiple times. Um, I thought the other one is watching the Jazz are trying some things. They, they're very consciously putting the ball in Taylor Horton Tucker's uh, hands last night. So the Jazz rotation last night, they played the three bigs again, Vanderbilt, Markin, and Olenek. I have a feeling that that's a staple. Like, we've seen that twice. I think the Jazz like that. Um, and then they started Clarkson and Conley uh, instead of Conley and Beasley uh, last night. Clarkson actually ended with 19 points. He looked really comfortable, actually, in that role um, and, and looked really good. He didn't have to shoot every single time. He played a very different game. Didn't play with the ball in his hands all the time. I thought Jordan looked surprisingly comfortable with that with Mike Conley, and he's probably a more versatile and better player than... Malik Beasley in some ways. He's not the shooter that Malik Beasley is. Wow. Malik Beasley can really, really shoot it. Um, and that was pretty great to see when he came out and just got hot. You can see that Malik Beasley could start lighting things up. He did sprain an ankle and not play the second half. So anyway, the Jazz started Conley Clarkson, Vanderbilt, Markinen, and Olenek. Actually, I always want to say it the right way because I think it's important. Conley Clarkson, Markinen at the three, Olenek at the four, Vanderbilt at the five. Then Walker Kessler backed up Vanderbilt at center. Sexton backed up Conley. Taylor Horton Tucker came in for Markin, and that's where Nikhil Alexander-Walker had played the game before. Stanley Johnson came in for Olenek. Um, that's where Rudy Gay had played the day before. And then Malik Beasley, before he sprained his ankle after nine minutes, came in for Jordan Clarkson. Um, so, And then the Balmero, Butler, Fonchecchio, Abaji, and Zeller closed out the final nine minutes of the game. Alexander Walker got eight for the Beasley eight second half minutes um, in that group. And so you kind of see where the position battles are so far, where everybody is. We've seen that big lineup now three times. I think that's probably, or twice. I think that's 
likely going to be a signature is that Markkinen playing at that four, Vanderbilt and Olenek. So two things that the Jazz were doing in that Markkinen, Taylor, Horton, Tucker position is playing with the ball in their hands. The Jazz are, are having their three bring the ball up an awful lot. Markkinen's coming off curl, tight curls with the ball in his hands, making a play in the lane. We talked about this on yesterday's show. That's just not something that he's been asked to do since his second year in the league. Taylor, Horton, Tucker, the Jazz were really putting the ball in his hands and, and letting him make Kind of try to make plays in the lane. I thought he was he was adequate at it, but I I also like that that's it. And I thought Markin was only adequate at it. But you're expanding their games and widening out and asking more out of them than they've had before. And I think that that's you know that's when guys are probably going to make some mistakes. But it's also really interesting to watch them get their game stretched and their game widened. And that's what this uh, what Will Hardy's trying to do right now. And I talked to Alex Jensen before the game about it yesterday. But so where is it that you know that's too much to ask out of someone or where is that you can find something out of one of these players that hasn't been tapped yet. And you can see, Hey, we know what Conley and Clarkson are, but we don't really know what Markinen might be able to do. He did a lot with the Finnish national team and which of this translates to the NBA. Um, you know, he went over five from three last night, uh, did Markinen and, you know, that's the, you know, he's only, as we talked about yesterday, he's really an average catch and shoot three point shooter. He's pretty fantastic for a seven footer. How were those three point shots maybe different? Were they not totally standstill? Were they not? Were they coming off curls? Was he in movement? You know, what what was there a reason he went over five or the ball just not go in? It happens. Um, and then he was playing with the ball in his hands a lot in the middle of the lane, trying to make plays, doing things of that sort. Same thing with Horton Tucker. Horton Tucker goes two for eight last night. It's hard. You know, there's a big difference in the NBA from coming straight down the barrel and trying to make a read than coming off a wing. You saw the Blazers last night ran a ton of pick and rolls on the wing. The general feeling when talking to coaches is if you're coming off the wing, you're making one read. Everyone else has shifted. It's a pretty, you're coming off the, coming from the top. You're going to have to make a read on the initial pick and roll defense. You're going to have to see who's shifting where, where they're shifting from. It's a much more difficult read. So when we're running, marking it, and we seem to be running everything down the middle, which is good. It opens up both sides of the floor. It makes it harder to defend, right? Like there's a reason why it's hard because, it's harder offense, but it's also way harder defense, and it's more successful. If you're on the wing, you can kind of sh- you can overshift it and read it, and then it's a skip pass, and you get back. You know, th- there's a reason you want to be coming down the middle. Almost all of our stuff is curling to the middle, coming to the middle. We, sometimes we're playing guys in the high post of the free throw line and playing out of that and doing that. Um, and so we're seeing that, and it's a it's a big read for these guys who haven't done a lot. Uh, the play of the night. To me, last night, there were a lot of them, um, but maybe the one that would be the most exciting is that Walker Kessler rolled the lane and then threw the corner uh, pass out to Kelly Olenek on the corner three, and Olenek hits it. I think it was, I think it was to Olenek. Um, and for a three, Kessler just is showing amazing body control. It's so clear he is not a seven-footer that became seven-footer and therefore became a basketball player. He was raised as a basketball player. His grandfather played at Georgia. His uncle played in the NBA. His dad played at Georgia. His brother played at Georgia. Like, this is a kid who was raised playing basketball. And I think even to the point of raised in the modern era understanding how a seven-footer is going to play um, and is so comfortable with the ball, making plays, making reads, doing things. He's just super sharp in how he's seen the game. He's going to have to learn the NBA. got a nice block shot on a floater and he's going to have to understand some things. Um, but over, you know, that play and some of his quick jump stuff, there's, there's something really neat in Walker Kessler. And, and the things that are really neat in Walker Kessler are the quick jump ability of getting back up on top of the cup, 
uh, as a seven footer, the natural skills that he clearly has developed through training and learning the game and understanding what the modern big is. And then I just think he's played a tremendous amount of basketball. I think he's got the Gladwellian 10,000 hours, which allows him to make reads and make plays. Um, and, uh, you know, he's going to be, I said at the beginning of the year, like, you're, let, let's let him just play 20, 24 minutes a night. And if you can find a, you know, a, a big that plays 20, 24 minutes a night, that's a huge win in a drop big that can play 20, 24 minutes a night. And I think he's done that. This is Locked on Jazz. Thank you very much for tuning in. Back with you tomorrow. Scrimmage on Saturday for everyone, 11 a.m. Uh, at Vivint. It's free. Also, great ticket packages available at utahjazz.com. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, your team every day.